Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that it is true. Lord, that in your word we we find how your kingdom works. We find your mind and understand you better. And so, Father, as we look at your word today, can you help us to understand you? Can you help us to understand how you work in your creation and in our lives? As it often doesn't look the way we think it should, but nonetheless, you are doing a great work through your people, even when we can't see it. And so, Father, I, I pray for your wisdom this morning. Pray that your spirit would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I said last week, we had the absolute privilege that we get every year to, to gather together and to celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty, the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave, the hope that we have through that. And at the end of last week's uh, service, I read Jesus's words, Jesus's command that he gives his followers before he goes to be with the Father. And of course, these are very famous words that we all know, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. And it says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so before Jesus went to be at the right hand of the Father, he told his people, his followers, go and tell others about me. Go and tell others about this truth, this magnificent hope that you have through me. And one of the things that we tend to do, one of the perspectives that we tend to have as followers of Christ in our culture is we tend to have this perspective that before we go and share the gospel, before we go and preach this gospel, the situation that we find ourselves in to do it has to be almost perfect, if not perfect. Right? We pray for that perfect situation before we feel comfortable to share this gospel of Jesus Christ. I will pray that, God, would you open someone's ears to hear, and that's not a bad prayer, but unless we're sure that that person's ears are open, we won't bother speaking, right? We wait until someone is ready to receive when we know for sure, okay, if I speak, you're not going to turn me down before we share this gospel. But the reality is that when it's God who's bringing the increase, when it's God who's doing the work, Nothing has to be perfect in order for the gospel to advance, in order for it to go out. It will continue to expand even in situations where it is not perfect. And we must just be faithful in every situation that God gives us to preach this gospel, whether we think it's perfect or not. Even in situations that seem like they should hinder the work of the gospel, as opposed to advance the work of the gospel. I think the key words for us as followers of Christ to remember in the Great Commission are the first words that Jesus gives and the last words that Jesus gives. I think we forget those sometimes. The first thing he says is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
That is a great assurance for followers of Christ that he is the ultimate authority over everything. And then he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we have this incredible truth that our God, our King, is over everything, is sovereign, and He is with us in all things to the end of the age. And that should be this incredible encouragement for followers of Christ to go and do what it is that He has commanded us to do. You know, Paul, the apostle, he found himself in a position where it looked like it should hinder the advancement of the gospel. It was not a perfect situation. It was a situation that looked like it should hinder the gospel from going out. Paul actually had several situations like this in his life, but we're going to focus on one this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're just going to be looking at two verses this morning, verse 12, actually three verses, sorry, verse 12 to 14. Philippians 1, verse 12 to 14 says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, before we dig into what Paul's saying here, I just want to give you a little bit of background on the letter to the Philippians. Philippians is traditionally believed to have been written by Paul when he was in Rome. It is thought to have been written sometime around the early 60s AD. And this was one of the letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome. And so Philippi, the church, was one of the first churches that Paul actually planted. He planted the church of Philippi in Europe, and we see it in Acts chapter 16 when he planted the church, and it was during his second missionary journey that this church was founded. And the message of the letter of Philippians is a message of joy. It is a message that Paul gives to this church where we should have joy in the midst of suffering. This was Paul's focus throughout the letter. And Paul begins the letter, as you can see in chapter 1, as he normally does. He begins his letter with a greeting in, in verse 1 and 2. And after the greeting, Paul follows it up by praying and giving thanks to God for the church in Philippi in verses 3 to 11. And so what we see happening is Paul greets the church like he normally does. He prays and he gives thanks for the church. And then right after he does that, he goes into these verses that we just read. And so when I read that, I go, okay, this is incredibly important to Paul. This is preeminent in his letter to the Philippians. He wants them to know this. And he actually says that, I want you to know, brothers. This is what I'm starting my letter with because I want you to know this. And then he makes two incredibly fascinating, counterintuitive statements in verse 12 to 14 that I want us to consider this morning. And the first statement is found in verse 12 and 13. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so the first counterintuitive statement that Paul makes is my imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. The fact that I am stuck in chains is actually causing the gospel to go out and advance and continue to reach people. That is a counterintuitive idea. We think chains means restriction. We can't possibly expect the gospel to go out, and yet the exact opposite is happening here. And Paul says something similar in 2 Timothy 2, verse 8 to 9. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound in chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Like That's an amazing, amazing sentence. I'm bound in chains, but the word of God is not bound. You know, I think that this is an important statement regarding the work of God's kingdom, even for us in the time that we find ourselves. When we find ourselves in a time where there are more restrictions on the church in Canada, and honestly, in a lot of places in the world, than we've ever had in our lifetimes. Because of COVID, we are so restricted, and yet we see here, hey, restrictions led to the advancement of the gospel, not the hindering of the gospel. So I want to unpack that with you this morning. And the second statement that Paul makes is found in verse 14. He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so the, the second counterintuitive statement Paul makes is, my imprisonment has actually given confidence to the brothers, and they are speaking more boldly this gospel. And again, we would think, okay, your imprisonment should scare other people away from preaching the gospel. I am in prison for preaching this gospel. I don't want to preach that gospel then, and yet it's having the opposite effect. People are seeing Paul has been imprisoned for this gospel, and they are speaking it all the more boldly. And so there's these two incredible counterintuitive things that are going on. And so we have to ask a couple questions from this. First is, how was Paul's imprisonment serving the advance of the gospel? How could this possibly be true? And second, why is the fact that Paul is imprisoned for this gospel having a positive effect on fellow believers? Why is it giving them more boldness as opposed to them running away? And so let's answer question one first. How was Paul's imprisonment serve to advance the gospel and as i was thinking about this i was thinking about uh, dallas jenkins the the creator of the chosen and if you watched the the live stream last sunday uh i know gene especially her favorite part is when he talks at the start of it uh and <laughs> and he was talking at the start of the chosen and he talked for a little while he often talks a little while but he talks about this thing and i've heard him say it before he says he talks about god's impossible math he refers to the fact that the, the chosen has been financially blessed, uh, that it is only by the giving of people that they have been able to do what they've done, and they have reached 100 million people. Uh, they are reaching more people for way less money than what Hollywood would spend on a film, right? And he calls it God's impossible math. 
right? Because when you trust in God, he does things so far beyond what you could imagine. And that's the idea that comes to mind here when I think about Paul's imprisonment as serving as an advance to the gospel. This is, Paul, uh, this is God's impossible math that he makes this work out, that prison equals advancement, that restrictions equals more people finding freedom in Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons why this is the case is because Jesus Christ himself said this is exactly how it would happen, that the gospel would advance in this way. Mark 13, verse 9, he says to his disciples, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Do you see what Jesus is saying to his disciples there? He's saying, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be carried over. You're going to be handed over. And that's going to give you an opportunity to stand before kings and governors. And that for my sake, you will bear witness to them. He says something very similar in Luke 21, verse 12 to 13. He says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Those are incredibly mind-boggling words from Jesus. He's saying, listen, when you are persecuted, when you are handed over, when you are imprisoned, it's for my sake. It's so that you will have an opportunity to bear witness to people. This goes against our natural thinking. We don't think like this in our natural minds. We think restrictions equal the devil, not God. Right? When we face restrictions, we think bad, devil, not God. But Jesus says what appears to be a restriction is actually an opportunity for you if you take advantage of it. I think that's very pertinent in the time that we find ourselves in currently. And so specifically in Paul's situation, and at times in the situation that followers of Christ will find themselves in, how is his imprisonment, how do restrictions serve to actually advance this gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you four ways that I see from the text this morning that imprisonment and suffering advances the gospel. And the first one is that it advances the gospel by bringing the truth of God before people that otherwise would not have an opportunity to hear it proclaimed. And we see this happening, and this is what Jesus says in Luke 21 and Mark 13. Hey, you'll have the opportunity to bring this gospel before kings and governors. And Paul says in Philippians 1, 12 to 14, also the imperial guard. The whole imperial guard knows why I'm in prison. He knows, they know it's in, I'm in prison because of Jesus Christ. So he has had an opportunity to preach the gospel to people, to show the gospel to people that he otherwise would never have had an opportunity to do so. And leading up to his imprisonment in Rome, if you read in the book of Acts, uh, he was brought before Felix, he was brought before Festus, he was brought before Agrippa, and so he was brought before these powerful men that he had the opportunity to preach the gospel to that he would have never had if he was not arrested and imprisoned. And so, 
sometimes in suffering and sometimes in restrictions, it advances the gospel because it brings it to people whom you would have never had an opportunity to preach to before. The second reason why it advances the gospel is because it shows that there is a Christ. Paul had the opportunity to bring the gospel to people who did not know of this Christ. They were not expecting a Christ. They didn't know there was a Christ. These were Roman men. They were not Jews. They didn't understand the scriptures. And so it gives the opportunity to bring the gospel of Jesus to those who don't know that there is a Christ, who don't know that they need salvation, who, doesn't know, who don't know that there is someone who has come to save them. The third way that it advances the gospel is it advances the gospel by demonstrating that Christ is worthy to suffer for and possibly lose your life for. I think this is one of the most powerful realities that we see in there. That Paul is willing to go to prison. That Paul is willing to lose his life. It demonstrates to all of those around him who see him, this Christ must be worth everything if he is willing to lose everything for him. We have this incredible opportunity to show the preeminence of Christ, the worth of Christ to the world we find ourselves in situations where we are instructed with restrictions, where we find ourselves in situations where we are suffering when we suffer well. You know, I was even thinking this morning as we were, we were worshiping, and this is obviously a very uh, lesser situation than what Paul's talking about. I'm not comparing, but, but I was thinking about the restrictions that we have on us this morning, and I was thinking the fact that we are all here and we are worshiping the Lord Jesus, and we are doing it following the rules, whether we agree with them or not, but we are here following the rules, worshiping Jesus so that we can, and there's hundreds of people driving by and seeing Christians gathered on a Sunday morning to worship Jesus, and that alone, I think, shows the preeminence of Christ and the ultimate importance of Him in our life. Then, yeah, there may be these restrictions on us. We may have to follow these things that we don't agree with, but Jesus Christ is worth so much more than that. And so I'm going to come, and I'm going to worship Him. Amen? And number four, the last reason it advances the gospel is by encouraging other believers, causing them to become more confident and bold in speaking it. We see it in verse 14. Paul says, my imprisonment has made others more bold to speak. And so us dealing with restrictions, us dealing with suffering makes those around us when we suffer well, more encouraged and more willing to speak boldly for this gospel. And so this is how the gospel continues to advance even though Paul is stuck in prison, even though Paul is in chains. The second question that we need to consider is, why? Why is the fact that, that Paul is in prison for this gospel having a positive effect on fellow believers? How is that possible? Right? We often, in, a, in our natural minds, we have this idea of, I want to run away from pain. I want to run away from suffering. If that's happened to you, why do I want to step into that? And so how is Paul's imprisonment emboldening others? 
And it's because what we just said, Paul is demonstrating the worth of Christ to other fellow believers. I think of Philippians 3, verse 7 to 8. Paul says, we, we looked at this verse last week. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so the brothers are encouraged when they see Paul literally living his life out by these words. I will throw everything else away if it means that I have Jesus. And in this case, it means imprisonment for Christ. Lack of freedom for Jesus. They are encouraged by Paul's courage in adversity. It spurs them on. And this is an important idea for us to have in our minds that the importance of suffering well, the importance of suffering well has an effect on those around us that we often can't understand. But when someone with faith in Jesus Christ is going through a difficult time, and you can see in that there is sorrow, and yet they have this underlying joy. You can see in that there is difficulty, and yet there's this underlying trust in the Lord that just cannot be shaken. It moves others. It allows others to see the worth of Jesus Christ. And so these brothers, they see Paul's courage, and it grows courage in them as he suffers well. But why do they become fearless? He says they were suddenly speaking the word without fear. How, how do you become fearless? That's an important question for us as followers of Christ. I think there's so many followers of Christ that are absolutely terrified to preach the gospel of Jesus. We are riddled with fear. So how did they get to the point where they were much more bold to speak the word without fear. I'll give you four reasons. Number one is their belief in Jesus deepened. As they saw Paul suffer well, they realized how important Jesus was, how significant Jesus is, and their belief deepened in him. Jesus' words to to Jairus regarding his daughter came to my mind as I was thinking about this. In Mark 5, 36, he says, but, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And this is a situation where Jesus was going to heal Jairus' daughter and says, don't fear that she's dead, but believe. But this idea is the same. Do not fear, follower of Christ, but believe in me. Believe that I have all authority over heaven and earth. And believe that I am with you at all times to the end of the age. And so belief in Jesus strikes out fear in our hearts. The second thing is knowing our sins are forgiven, knowing that we are in right standing with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When you understand and have the correct worldview, the fact that your sins are forgiven, the fact that you have right standing with God means, who shall I fear? Because the only one that we have to fear, the only wrath that we have to fear is the Lord's, and it's been taken away from us. And so when we really get that, it cuts fear out 
from our heart. And so believe in Jesus. Know that your sins are forgiven. Know that you are in right standing with God. Number three, know that God is sovereign over all, as Jesus said. Know that he has all authority. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That includes Paul being imprisoned. Paul can sit there and go, no, I know that you are sovereign. I know that you are over all. And so even though I can't see it, I know that you have a good reason for why I am here. And the gospel is going to continue to do its work because it's the spirit of God that does the work, not me. And number four, to strike out fear, we must know that we have eternal life. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I believe that as the brothers looked at how Paul was suffering, it encouraged them and it deepened their belief in Jesus. It deepened their understanding that they knew our sins are forgiven. God is for us. God is sovereign over all. We have eternal life. Who are we to fear? If God can work in the midst of Paul's imprisonment and, and hundreds, if not thousands of people are still coming to faith, still hearing this gospel, what do we have to fear? Nothing. You know, Paul ends this little, uh, this little section, these two little, or these three little verses with the same mind that he wrote the entire letter. As I said, the, the letter of Philippians is about having joy in the midst of suffering. And when Paul says, even though I'm in prison, the gospel's advancing. Through my imprisonment, God's using it to embolden brothers to, to preach this gospel. And the fact that, that Christ is being preached more boldly from his imprisonment, Paul says there, is a source of great joy. And so in prison, in restrictions, in chains, Paul has this deep underlying joy because he knows that the Lord is using it. He knows that the Lord is emboldening his brothers through what he's going through. And so he has this joy in suffering that he's commending others to have. And so what I want to do is, in light of this, I just want to think about what, what can we do? If this is true, if, if restrictions lead to advancement of the gospel, opportunities, if, if the imprisonment, if the suffering of others emboldens fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, what can we do? And I would say that the first thing that we can do is I would encourage you to read biographies of men and women in Christ who have suffered well, who have faced incredibly difficult situations and have just had this joy, this deep faith all throughout it in the midst of it. Because when we stare in the face of others suffering well, it, it, it girds us up, it encourages us as we see happening here. And so people like Elizabeth Elliot, she wrote a book called Suffering is Never for Nothing. Joni Erickson Tata, Gerald Sitzer, 
who wrote a book called Water from a Deep Well and Grace Disguised and a Resilient Faith. Faith. Read about these people's lives. Read about the faith that they had in the midst of deep suffering and allow it to encourage you the way it did the brothers when they looked at Paul. The second thing that you and I can do is we can suffer well. We have the opportunity to suffer well for the sake of those around us, to show that in every situation, Christ is preeminent. We have this situation when a diagnosis comes down that we don't expect. We have a situ this situation when a difficulty comes down that we didn't see coming. And being girded up in our faith, being able to suffer well through it, it's not easy. But the testimony that it gives to others is absolutely incredible. Even in this time, again, to a, a lesser degree, it's, it's not complaining. It's not arguing with others about restrictions or what we think is right or wrong. It's how do we walk this out, giving the greatest testimony to Jesus Christ that through everything, through this, through things we don't agree with, he is preeminent. How do we honor him in it? And the last thing I would encourage you to do is meditate on the things that cut through fear. Meditate on the Word of God. Look at those places in the Word of God that talk about belief in Jesus. Look at those places in the Word of God that talk about your sins have been forgiven, about God's sovereignty, about eternal life, about all of the promises that we have from the Lord. You know, the Word of God is living and active. And I, I think sometimes when... I tell people, oh, go and, and meditate on the Word of God. People can kind of be like, oh, I've read it. I know what it says. But the Word of God is living and active. And so to, to sit here and meditate on verses from our Lord and allow them to go deep, the Holy Spirit will get a hold of it in your heart and will work something through it. And this is how we cut out fear in our lives. So my hope for for all of us is that if we have the opportunity to suffer, that we suffer well, that we don't look for perfect situations, that we understand that it is not through us that this gospel goes out, but through the power of the Spirit of God. And if we are faithful, even in the most difficult situations, if we are faithful in situations that look like it would absolutely bring no fruit, the Spirit of God will use that to advance the gospel. This gospel goes out in season and out of season. And so trust that the Lord will work through you in every situation you find yourself in by every single faithful step that you are willing to take. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for verses like this that just send our minds wondering how. how. How is it that Paul being stuck in chains means more people are finding freedom? How is it that the suffering leads to brothers and sisters in Christ being emboldened? Lord, I just give you praise that Again, as we look at verses like this, it just goes to show that your ways are not the world's ways, that you work differently. And so, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that you work in 
the midst of difficulty, that you work in the midst of suffering. Father, may we not be a people who look for perfect situations, but in every situation, preach this gospel. In every situation, be a representative for Jesus. Father, help us to do what we are called to do, knowing that you will always do what you have said you will. That it is through your spirit that this gospel goes out. Even in this time where we are so restricted, we can't gather together the way we would like to, people are searching for Jesus. People are scared of this virus. People are frustrated. People are struggling, being stuck in their homes, and they need hope. Hearts are open to receive, and so, Lord, help us to be faithful. And I thank you, Lord, that you have all authority and that you have said you will be with us to the end of the age as we go and do what you command us to do. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.